0: Um, Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Female Filmmaker Friday podcast. Uh, I'm excited to welcome my guest because she was also on my first show, and she's one of my favorite people. Uh, This would be, of course, Kristen Sales.
1: Hey, Mariah. Thanks for having me back on.
0: Hi, Kristen. um, I'm so glad to have you back on because when we recorded our first show on Jane Jane Campion, I asked you and Justine, who your Justine Smith, who was the other guest, who your favorite Female filmmakers were, and your answer was Kelly Reichardt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, Kelly Reichardt just had a a movie come out. Certain women, it's one of the most well regarded films of the year. Yep. So now we're here. We are talking about Kelly Reichardt. But before we get to that, let's remind everybody, in case they've already forgotten, where they can find you on the internet and like what it is that you do as a film person.
1: Sure. Well, um, you can find me, uh, blogging under my, uh, blogging name, which is sales on film. So sales on film on Twitter, sales on film on Tumblr. And yeah, I guess I'm just sort of interested in film culture and film criticism culture. So kind of just like engaging with, uh, what's going on critically and sort of what's going on in international art house, uh, less domestic, less frequently. I care about mainstream movies because I'm becoming more of an elitist the more I go on. But, um, yeah, just kind of like engaging with what's going on, trying to cultivate, um, some interesting opinions and diverse, uh, perspectives of what people are watching.
0: I completely understand that. Uh, last year when I did a year with women, I obviously did not do much with mainstream cinema and I got really, uh, relieved Mm -hmm. That I didn't have to care about Marvel, because I had an excuse. I was like, "Oh, I can't see it," and now I just didn't see it because I was like, "I don't care." The only mainstream film I've seen all year, I think, was um, "When the Bow Breaks."
1: Oh, oh, this year?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome. uh, It was a. Yeah, that was that was like the sexy, very good looking uh, African American people in like erotic thriller.
0: Morris Chestnut and um... Right. It was good. It's from the same guy who was the showrunner on Wicked City, which I also was the only person who enjoyed, so, um...
1: Yeah, I can't even tell you. I don't even think I've ever heard of that show.
0: It was on ABC, and it got canceled, but then they put it all on Hulu, and I binge-watched the episodes that didn't get aired. Okay. It was terrible and great.
1: Was it, like, like erotic thriller? It was an erotic
0: thriller. It was an erotic serial killer thriller set oh in the goodness. 80s on the Sunset Strip. So
1: you oh you back. know what now okay I do remember hearing about that uh-huh. yeah was yeah. the guy from the guy from Gossip Girl was in that
0: oh yeah he was Is that the, him uh he was the erotic yeah. serial killer mm-hmm.
1: right no yeah very erotic yeah and
0: uh, what's her name from Swim Fan? Jessica I'm sure she's other, Christensen? Other Erica Christensen. Erica, Erica Christensen she was in yeah. it too yeah it was good and then um what is his name from Clueless was the detective, but he was the worst thing.
1: Oh, Dan um, Hedale?
0: No, the, the, the boyfriend.
1: Oh, the boyfriend. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Sisto.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was the worst thing on the show.
1: I'm just pulling these from <laughs> the just, 90s, it, just, like, out of the 90s, I'm pulling much. these names.
0: Yeah, pretty much. If it had just been the, the serial killer perspective, it would have been a much better show. But okay. anyways... Um, it's very trashy. I love trashy erotic Yeah, thrillers. welcome like, back man. to
1: the Wicked City podcast, everybody.
0: I can't. I should, I should do, I have a friend who did an after Smash podcast where the whole podcast is Smash, like, talking about Smash and the uh, influence of Smash mm-hmm. post-Smash being canceled. And I feel like I should do that with Rick, Wicked City, but, like, have it all about erotic thrillers.
1: Wow. Uh, I, didn't understand, I didn't realize that it was so genre-defining. I,
0: I love erotic thrillers. I used to watch this one show. I'm sorry, this is totally off topic. I used to watch this one show called Silk Stockings.
1: I've heard of that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was Canadian erotic thrillers, basically mm-hmm. SVU from Canada before SVU existed.
1: That's so um, funny that Silk Stockings is such a trashy name for a show. It's so like yeah. it's so like lurid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like a romance novel title.
0: So, well, it kind of was. So now you guys know a lot about me as a viewer. Yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get back to uh, <laughs> You know, you know I love cats and erotic thrillers, that's pretty much what we've learned.
1: That was such an um, immediate digression into like the polar opposite of what Kelly Reichardt movies are about. Like
0: Yeah. I there's mean, no
1: eroticism <laughs> basically in any of these movies. At, at all. At um, all. So let's
0: let's talk a little bit about Kelly Reichardt um, how you got into Kelly Reichardt what you love about Kelly Reichardt
1: Sure. Well, so much. Um I guess we could start, yeah. I think the first um, record movie that I saw was Wendy and Lucy. This was back in the day, so probably about like five years ago, I was writing this column um, about movies that were available for free on the internet for, via various platforms. And one of the movies that was available on Hulu, back when Hulu used to have movies for free, um, was Wendy and Lucy. And um, when you're writing a column about free movies, and you have to watch all of them for your column, um, it's good to pick the shortest movies that you can find. And uh, thankfully, Wendy and Lucy is like 80 minutes. It's a perfect, perfect runtime. So I just watched this movie, and I had heard, you know, that it was just very sad, and Michelle Williams, like, I know who that is. So I watched it, and I was pretty much just blown away by kind of the the bleakness of it and the... Um, sort of originality in that it is just, it's very, very comfortable being one thing and not trying to do more uh, than it needs to, which is something that I, a quality in in, in, a, in a filmmaker and in a film that I really admire. Um, so that immediately uh, put Kelly Reichardt on the map for me. And then um, I picked it up from there and that was, uh, I don't know, I must have watched that in 2000. Nine 2010 um when it got on hulu and then she had a new movie right after that meek's cutoff um, which i saw and loved and that was probably like my number one or top five movies of 2010 and uh, i think it's probably one of the best films of the decade you know when people put together that list like oh what would you say were the best films of the 2010s Uh, meek's cutoff is always up there for me it's a I think people like to say revisionist Western or feminist Western, but, you know, it's a Western. Um, And uh, uh, again, with Michelle Williams, and it it just hits a lot of the kind of things that I like in a movie. Like To me, Meek's Cut-Off is sort of like if I was going to make a movie, it would have a lot of the same elements. Just sort of a a starkness, a quietude, and um, like a Western setting and an emphasis on... Um, women within the Western is always kind of just like a like a little niche um, uh, sort of pet project, or not pet project, but just sort of like an interest of mine within um, the larger scope of cinema or the larger scope of uh, classical Westerns. So yeah, so with those two movies combined, I was just like, okay, I'm totally sold on this woman, like get me all the other movies that I can watch, and then um, when Night Moves came out, uh, a couple years ago, I saw that in the theater, and then as soon as I heard that she was making um, this most recent film, Certain Women, and I saw the cast, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is me. Like, someone made a movie. They were like, Kristen, what do you want to see in a movie? And then they, like, made it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's... Certain Women is definitely my, like, favorite film of the year so far. And I just... Yeah, I'm just totally in the bag for Kelly Reichert. Like, she's just... Um, Not only like my favorite female filmmaker, but just hands down one of my favorite uh, working filmmakers right now.
0: Meeks Got Off was actually the first of her films that I saw. I missed it when it was first in theaters, but Mm -hmm. I moved to San Francisco shortly afterwards. And I pretty much lived in the Castro Theater. And they would do double features for $10, which is friggin amazing. um, Because the other movies in San Francisco are like $14 for one movie. You know? So they did a double feature of uh, Meek's Cutoff and John Sayles' um, um, Limbo. Limbo? Is that what it's called? Lone Star? I think it's- no, Limbo. I think it's called Limbo. Limbo. Okay. Uh, let me make sure on that where I keep going. But I'm pretty sure it's called Limbo. Yeah, it's from 1999. So I had heard of both these filmmakers, but had never seen any of their films. So I was like, I'm going. And um, slight spoiler alert for both films. They're the kind of films that have an ending that is very open-ended and pisses a lot of people off because you're like, damn it, there's no resolution. And after I saw this film, both films, I, it like very much inspired most of my writing in film school because I was like, yes, I love this. I love not having a resolution. I love not knowing what's going to happen to these characters. Mm-hmm. I just, I found that just so inspirational, and I wrote several uh, shorts that had endings like that, and holy crap, people were like, this isn't an ending, you can't end something like that, and I'm like, yes you can, because then it's up to you to decide, it's like a choose your own adventure, I love that, mm-hmm. um, so I'm grateful to her for for that, I also love that uh, Meek's cut off is set, so Meek was um, one of the pioneer, like runner, uh, not runners, uh, Guides through the Pioneer Trails up near where I grew up. So the one that he went on was uh, the trail just above where I grew up, and the one that where I grew up was called the Fandango Trail. But they're pretty much very similar trails to get you to Northern California, Southern Oregon. And when I was watching this film, I kept trying to explain prior to this, like what it looked like where I grew up, mm-hmm. and because people picture California and they they don't they don't picture like fields. Mm-hmm. Um, or, endless, you, or
1: even endless, if you tell endless them endless fields, Northern California, Yeah.
0: They picture mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Or San Francisco. Redwood. And so yeah. when when uh, when Meeks Cutoff came out, I was like, everybody go watch this movie, and you can see what it was like for me to grow up. Except that we weren't pioneers, <laughs> but I mean, it still looks exactly like that. The field that I grew up mm-hmm. playing in looked just like that. Like, yeah. I, I almost feel like Kelly Reichert could have saved money she just came and filmed in my hometown and lived in in my parents spare room
1: <laughs> while
0: making it because it looked exactly the same.
1: Yeah, and the but wild I, the wild thing is it's like I think people think of Kelly Reichardt as like an Oregon filmmaker cuz uh most of her other films are set in Oregon and that's has a certain lushness to it and then like Meek's Cutoff is Eastern Oregon so it looks like the total like the, dark side of the Oregon. mood. It looks it, oh so yeah, so, southern Oregon and Oregon. and Yeah, and
0: that part of Northern California and Southern Oregon is known as the state of Jefferson. And it's a very different feel than the rest of California and the rest of Oregon. And it's very, it's, it has a very different history. It has a very different population now than the rest of the states. And they're both, both parts of those two states feel neglected by the rest of their state. So when you think of Oregon and California as these like liberal paradises, it's like, except the area where cut off takes place
1: right yeah it's pretty wild it's like a totally different area but especially just in terms of her filmography of like all these other films where like people are like you know like in the woods and it's deciduous and dark and green and beautiful and then you just have like this other part of the state and it's still they're like equally Oregon stories it's just I think the the tenor of the stories themselves are so much like determined by the environment and it like it kind of determines like how she shoots, you know, whatever story she's telling is because so much is determined by um, the like the physical surroundings.
0: I also like that you pointed out that *Mink's Cut Off* is uh, sort of a feminist western because mm-hmm. what you'll see in a lot of westerns is sometimes you'll see a tough woman, but she feels more like a, a masculinized tough woman, mm-hmm. and rarely you'll see an actual pioneer woman right right? with the kind of like the kind of pioneer the kind of pioneer woman that like uh Joan Didion wrote about the kind of pioneer women that came in those in those covered wagons they were tough tough women
1: yeah and they're not like it's not a 21st century understanding of like what a tough woman is like it's exactly it's it's entirely within the context of the time and the sort of social mores and the very sort of like religious um, uh, culture that that they're coming out of. So it's not sort of like betraying those things. It's just like bringing out sort of what the realistic strengths that these people like would actually have to have cuz I mean Meek's cut off you alluded like Meek was a real guy and everything so it's it's a fictional it's a lightly fictionalized version of like events that actually happened. The people I don't I think are are sort of made up but um yeah. It's I mean it, that did happen to this group of people where they got sort of uh incredibly lost and yeah.
0: Which it, I it also must there. say having having grown up there you can still get lost up there to this day. Um, There's actually, in that area, there's a, um, and more so in the Northern California, below the border part, but there's um, a belief in these spirits called the Tinehawais, and essentially what they do is, and they did this to the native population as well, but they, like, majorly did this to the white, like, settlers, is they would fuck with your brain, and they would make you uh, forget where you were, they would move trees around, they would move things around so that you were disoriented. Yeah. Um, and that's why a lot of the native populations would stay away from Tenu- Tenhoi territory. Like, they're, you know, who who knows if they're real or not, but um, y- you go in those areas and you're like, this is not right. This doesn't feel right. So um, I like that that she didn't quite go into that at all, but it's, it's definitely um, a, like traditional idea that surrounds northern california southern oregon is the idea of the Tinahawi.
1: that's cool Uh, i mean that's uh, like i think that's like background that doesn't super come across because there's not a lot of i would say there's like very minimal amount of like spiritualism in that but i think that there is sort of a an unspoken and an underlying uh current of just sort of something is happening and nobody really names it or knows what's happening. It could be as easy as they're just lost because this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Or it could be that the, 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 the uh, Native American guy that they pick up is sort of summoning people. Like there's that thread of like paranoia that some of the settlers think that might be happening. But the thing that I love about the movie and Reichart in general is that it's super, everything is super, super understated like if she has an opportunity to state something out loud like nine times out of ten she she won't she'll just let you bring whatever you want to bring into it and kind of you know she'll, she'll leave everything kind of there on the screen or suggested through you know sound design or suggested through maybe like a couple point of view shots but everything is really kind of up for grabs and um I really like that because it allows for um, an intelligence in the audience and it allows for uh, participation and for people to sort of um, come to their own conclusions about what they thought the movies were about or what they thought is going to happen to the characters.
0: So with Reichart, she first sort of broke through in 2006 with Old Joy, but prior Mm -hmm. to that, or at least that's the sort of narrative, but prior mm-hmm. to that, she had her first feature. It was 1994, full 12 years earlier, River of Grass. And it was unavailable for years and years and years. But when it first came out, it played at Sundance, it played in Berlin, and it won a Sundance Grand Jury Prize and was nominated for three Independent Spirit Awards. So yeah. it wasn't like when it came out, it was a film no one was talking about. But somehow, 12 years went by before she was able to really pick herself back up and make another film. And what's interesting about that break there is that if you watch River of Grass, which is now available, got restored. Um, it was on Fandor earlier this year.
1: Yeah, it's still there, it, by the way. It
0: has... Okay, it's still on Fandor. It has similarities to the rest of her, her filmography, but it's distinctly doesn't feel as um, sort of ambu- ambiguous as the rest of her films. No, like, I it think definitely, it... it 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 almost feels like a film school film. I don't mean that as a bad thing because if this is if I made something this good in film school, I would have been really proud. Um, but it has the three act structure. You know, it's inspired by um, sort of girl in a gun stories. Just
1: mm-hmm. Set in Florida. No, I, th- I think you're totally right. It's like there's a couple things that that sets River of Grass apart. One is set in Florida, which and set around the area where Reichard actually grew up. Because for a long Mm -hmm. time before I had saw River of Grass, I just assumed that she was from the Pacific Northwest because most of her most of her stuff. And then I was like, what? She's from Miami. That's crazy. And then I just went back. So, like, I guess, um, you know, she she went up north to go to film school or art school or whatever and then came back down to Florida. So it has that hallmarks of like a Sundancey type movie in that there are elements of it that are not autobiographical, but she's pulling from elements of her own upbringing, like in terms of place and in terms of, um, there's like a crime scene detective character and that's what um, her actual father did was a crime scene detective. So there's a little bit of that. And then like you said, the girl and the gun thing, to me it feels, it's it's the only film of hers that feels like it could have been Made by someone else, and that it's taking elements of movies that you may have seen before, like *Badlands* comes to to mind immediately. That Terrence Malick kind yeah. of like two kind of like aimless people who find each other and then go on a crime sp- spree of sorts. The thing I like about *River of Grass* is that it's about people who want to go on a crime spree but can't seem to pull it off. Like it yeah, has. She
0: has this- she has this great quote, quote about the film. It's a road movie without the road, a love story without the love, and a crime story without the crime. And I think yeah. it's brilliant because there's these two people who are unhappy with where they're at and they smash together sort of on accident. And in any other film, they would immediately have been in love, in love, right? Mm-hmm. In that like movie love that you fall into in 20 seconds. And instead, they're just stuck together. But you can tell they don't love each other. You can tell they, can barely, they barely even like each other. Yeah, it's like they don't even, like, touch each other throughout the
1: movie. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they just fight because they're just just totally aimless. So it's literally like that thing, which I think is kind of a really funny in-joke. It's like that thing of, like, they're in a place where there's nothing to do, so they just kind of do anything to kill the time. It seems very, like, Floridian in that sense where you're just kind of, like in the boonies and you're like okay well you're here too let's like do let's like share the space together and all these people do is really share space together like there's not much that happens between them and then it's like and it like that dark undercurrent of humor or like that ironic humor where like the the gun factors in very early and it's kind of like the reverse checkoff Chekhov's gun where like it comes really early and you keep expecting something to happen but it's it's a total like red herring like nothing really happens like they think they kill a guy but then they don't and then they're like well I think there's a the quote in the movie is like well if we're not killers what are we and there's just they just come up they just come up with like well nothing and it's it's a great movie about like emptiness and, also, like, w- within the people, but also, like, within the space. Like, they're just trying to fill the space around them.
0: It's also, I think, would make a great uh, double feature with Barbara Loden's Wanda, mm. which has a similar trajectory of a woman who is does not connect with her children, is not a good housewife, does not want to be a housewife, but she has no ability to do anything else. Right. And she finds herself wrapped in a crime spree on accident. Um Yeah. More more action actually happens in Wanda than really happens in this one, but they're very similar tales of people who just never found a purpose
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and and don't have the equipment that that was actually Barbara Loden's actual uh, comment about her character was she doesn't have the equipment to function in life
1: mm-hmm. and
0: what happens when you're in that situation, but you you know you're not like sad enough to kill yourself but you really, there's nothing to do.
1: Yeah, and I'd say, like, probably the thing that I like about Revert Grass is it's a little, it's pretty, it's not heavy. Like, and there's no real, like, judgment or anything about the main character, Cozy, kind of not being a good mother. It's just kind of taken as, well, that's what it is. But there's also, she doesn't really, neither the character nor Reichardt, I think, views it as much of a big deal it's just kind of like these people just kind of come and go in their lives like nothing is super serious to them so I don't it it lends kind of even though there's a lot of things that are potentially like really dark or really depressing going on it's handled in such a way that's kind of just like well whatever and then people just kind of have a little twisted sense of humor it doesn't it never gets bleak enough to like at, in contrast to a lot of her later films which are kind of very very have the potential to be very very um sort of soul crushing river grass is always just kind of like on an even keel in terms of like we're kind of just passing through like the story is just kind of passing through these people's lives and they'll they've gotten into weirder things before and they'll get out of this okay and it'll just kind of be like you know what's going on there's a there's a lot of like impermanence um to the storytelling.
0: Which uh brings us then to Old Joy, which mm-hmm. was a film that uh, came out ten years ago. Um so the bulk of her filmography is in that ten this last decade basically. Yeah. Um it was on several it. top yeah. ten several top ten lists, got independent spirit award nominations again. Um I think it even won and uh uh, so this was the most recent, other than Certain Women, this is the most recent one that I watched. Uh, or no, mm-hmm. actually, did I watch it? Yeah, I watched it right before Certain Women. Um, I actually watched it in Night Moves back-to-back, because um, I was like, I should I should finally finish her filmography. Um, mm-hmm. So I've actually seen four of her films this year. <laughs> um, so what was I saying? Okay, so what did you think of Old Joy?
1: Um old joy i just love i've watched it like twice in the past week um which is easy to do because it's quite short i think it may be i don't know if it's her best film but i would say it's up there one or two i just think it's 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 perfect like it's just a little gem and it's based on a, a short story by john raymond who's one of her major collaborators um He's a he's a, a writer, uh, like a Oregon Portland based writer, and I think what happened is that they knew each other, and uh, she um, sort of adapted the screenplay before it was published, um, and he's like written screenplays for her films before, and they've collaborated on adaptations of his work before, and so um, the movie in itself is so um, small and self contained, and so much about like, little moments and gestures, and then if you go back and you read the short story, which is also called Old Joy, it's exactly, it's exactly like that. It feels like, it feels like such a faithful adaptation, but at the same time, the movie is, um, so much more expansive than the story, but, like, in the exact right way, like, if you would watch Old Joy, you would never think that to describe it as an expansive film, like, it's very, uh, it's very linear, and it, cuts off you know right at the right time but there's so many elements of the movie that are added to what's in the short story that I think it's like it really enriches the experience to go back and like read the source material and then you can kind of like come away with like a new appreciation of the film itself
0: so I, I actually have to say I think this is probably my least favorite of her films oh no. so that's, not I, that's not to say I didn't like it I liked yeah. it I, uh-huh. I just I couldn't I ha, I found harder to Basically, actually, both this and Night Moves, I found harder to relate to, mostly because mm-hmm. they're very male centric, mm-hmm. and and maybe it's because I'm just turning into a man hater. I don't know, but I just really didn't care about the characters. I I actually was more interested in the wife character that's in the beginning of the film. Yeah, and then you don't see her again, and I was like, no, come back, um, tell me about her. She's clearly got a lot to say, yeah. and I was just I just wanted to know more about her. Um, well, that, yeah,
1: I think that's obvious. I mean, that's definitely your mindset having to, having done your year with women project i think that's fair but like to me um i don't know there's something so um intriguing about the the men's behavior in the ways that they're trying to relate to each other and also even though they're they're men i, I maybe have like felt sort of similar things about trying to um trying to reignite a friendship like not not a not a romance, but just kind of you had a closeness with someone in the previous previous phases of your life, and you've kind of grown apart in different directions, and then you try to come back and sort of recapture the intimacy, like the the kind of intimacy that only that comes I with can, when, you're hang, when you're hanging when you're hanging out with someone.
0: That I can completely relate to. I, I mm-hmm. actually have a friend who was one of my, and maybe this is part of why I didn't like the film, was it hit feels I didn't want to feel. I don't know. But um yeah. I had a friend in college that I was really close to and in the last few years, every time we meet up, it gets more and more awkward. Yeah. Um and less of, like I not for me, I always wanna just dive back into the way we were and oh my god, now I'm thinking of Barbara Streisand. Um but anyways, but every time, but it doesn't ever feel reciprocated anymore the way it used to. Yeah. And so I can, I, I, that, you know. I think I think the honesty of the way that awkwardness is really comes across in this film. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with you there that that, that really feels a, like they captured what that feels like. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do enjoy a film that shows uh, different shades of masculinity that we don't often see.
1: Yeah, uh, I I think so that's I, sort I, of...
0: So I think for that.
1: Yeah, that's sort of like borderline... Erotic charge of like a close male friendship that, and I don't know. I I like this movie. Well, we haven't even talked about the dog. You don't well, really yeah, like the I, dog. I, I, I mean, you
0: know, Lucy's the best thing, and I love Lucy. Lucy's the best. Um, yeah, and so we should explain dog. that
1: Lucy is actually Kelly Reichardt's dog. And now, okay, um, old...
0: Did Lucy die because certain women was not was dedicated to Lucy?
1: Yes. You cut my story oh, off.
0: I'm sorry. No it's,
1: no, it's fine. It's fine. Spoiler alert! God, you bummed everyone out. No, yeah. So, I was um,
0: really upset when I saw that, so cause I didn't l- know the dog died.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was she was an old dog. So, I mean, but and yeah. she's been beautifully memorialized in, um, two incredible films. So, Old Joy. So, yeah. wh- what happened with Old Joy is that, um. I guess Kelly Reichardt just asked John Raymond, she said, well, I really like your, your, your short stories. Do you have any stories that are primarily set outside and any stories where I could write, write a dog into it, write my dog into it? And he said, yeah, this story, Old Joy. So basically um, the dog is not in the short stories. So she just wrote in her own dog for them to have (laughs) and go on the road trip. And it's beautiful. I mean, there's so much like just natural human behavior but also dog behavior um in the film because you just get to see them and they're just hiking or they're just going on a road trip but it's really just kind of beautiful these like long sustained shots of the both the humans and the dogs just sort of like sur- reacting to their surroundings so yeah lucy's in this one and then obviously she's the lucy in wendy and lucy
0: Wendy and so, Lucy, which is a good good transition to wendy yeah. and lucy yeah yeah so let's I, go.
1: Watched,
0: I watched wendy and lucy last year during a year with women Mm -hmm. And, uh, I do a lot of my, uh, rating and cataloging on movie, but Mm -hmm. I always like read the comments and then I'm like, shit, Mariah, stop reading the comments on movie. Everyone there is an asshole, but I do it anyways. (laughs) And then I get, and then I get angry. So there was this guy, it's always a guy too, or like 90% of the time it's some asshole guy leaving a comment where I'm like, you don't deserve this movie. So Wendy and Lucy (laughs) like hit, hit, hit hard. And I was very upset when it ended. And then I go to rate it on, on movie and this guy is basically saying, like, nothing happened and it's so boring and why can't she just, like, move or whatever. And I'm like, this whole – so much happened because of poverty. Like, it this whole movie is such a great look at true poverty and what mm. true poverty means and what it means to be somebody who, like, a dollar is something you have to, like, calculate. Can I actually yeah, spend?
1: Absolutely. And you I know? think that and the – the...
0: Trying to – move upward mobility during the recession
1: yeah you know? so this movie came in like 2008 so it's the, it's absolutely the perfect american recession movie in my opinion yes but it but has not aged poorly just because we're in a recovery period does not mean that this is not still relevant i just think what it hit it it hit really hard for certain people if that's what they were going through but i think one of the things I really like about Kelly Reichardt is there is an attention to realism and one aspect of that realism is an understanding of economy and an under- not only like visual economy which she's fantastic of, but like actual physical like money and how it factors into people's lives and how different people have Uh, resources and other people don't and how they negotiate the transference of those resources, be be it actual money or land or whatever. And this is like a very, very straightforward movie about someone who has a fixed amount of... They have to go from point A to point B with X amount of money and it's very, very clearly laid out that that is what needs to happen. And the drama comes in with you have these fixed factors and then you have these unknowns. So the whole movie is um, trying to, uh, Michelle Williams' character Wendy trying to um, deal with these unknown factors. So I, I think the simplicity of it in terms of setup may kind of throw people off because I think a lot of people are maybe used to um, conflict in movies being represented as something a little more. Um, Uh, grandiose but to me it's like this is a has the kind of um echoes back to maybe like neorealism but in a way that's way less romantic it's kind of very very stark very american kind of neorealism which is just kind of as bleak and as much about like sidewalks and parking lots and Gray skies and like a CVS. Do you know what I mean? Just that kind of like Americanism where you're just like, this is fucking bleak. Like, there's nothing around here except like a gas station and a grocery store, and these people are just like out here trying to like survive day to day. Like, that's what that that's what this movie is to me.
0: Yeah, it's it's very similar, I think, to Bicycle Thief in mm-hmm. in that one thing happens and everything, all the repercussions on on the man's life are astronomical. Um, yeah. And in this case, the same thing. What one, The one thing that couldn't go wrong was her car breaking down. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that went wrong.
1: Right, and um, then com- compounded with, and, with losing and then the dog. And compounded with, with yeah. losing
0: the dog. And so you you lose everything, pretty much. Right. And an- another thing that is not... It would have been more, I think, more highlighted if another filmmaker had made this, is sort of the... Um, and maybe male viewers didn't get this, but female viewers, I think certainly did the idea of a woman traveling alone.
1: Absolutely. uh, Yeah.
0: It's terrifying. And when Mm -hmm. she has the dog, it's a little less terrifying because she has the dog, right? When she Mm -hmm. loses that dog, I'm like, anything could happen. And if this had been like a more sensational filmmaker, someone would have tried to rough her up or try to rape her or something. Right. And instead you just, she's just afraid of everyone she talks to. And it's, and and she it's not like a jump afraid but you can see in her eyes every time she has to meet a new person or talk to a new person she's thinking is this person going to fuck me over like I'm I'm yeah. so alone. Like um, even the
1: even the mechanic who's not a particularly threatening character I think yeah. I think in, in her behavior and in Michelle Williams incredible performance we should definitely talk about her. Um mm-hmm. like there's this understanding of like she is totally at the mercy of this mechanic and like whatever he wants to charge basically like that's all that's her only option and in terms of like physical threats i mean there's really only that one scene later when she has to camp out um because she doesn't have her car where it's incredibly tense but then you're right it's one of those things where it's like well what in the situation actually would happen is she going to be raped and murdered like probably not but it's almost scarier that that doesn't happen because you have this sort of like perpetual fear that doesn't have, or this perpetual terror that doesn't actually have like an emotional release. And it, I think it lingers with you even more than if something really climactic had happened.
0: Yeah, well, and it just shows the idea that you, like I, I think most men who camp out probably don't think, hey, this is a little say unsafe because I'm all alone and I might get raped. You know, like that's a, that's a thought that, I think lots of women who are alone have in the back of their head. Often. Yeah.
1: No, it's it's like, always, I, I mean, mean, it's always an option.
0: I just drove across the country with a cat in my car and mm. I specifically stayed every night with someone I knew because I was terrified of stopping in a hotel. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just couldn't do it. And, and, um, I was afraid. And, Even stopping to like get gas and to feed myself was a little scary because I was like, something could happen to me, and my cat's going to be alone in the car. Like, you know, I don't know. No, totally.
1: And the thing that's extra scary in Wendy and Lucy is that um, Wendy, as a character, is so prepared and so planned out, and she's really mapped out this whole trip. You know, to to the scent, and she's a very capable. Person. So all of her interactions in the, in the beginning and even the middle of the movie are, she's very capable, she knows what to do, she knows how to navigate. It's not like she's just going on this like, woo, fun road trip, like she know she has a goal and she knows what's, what to do. And so to see her sort of gradually come up against these obstacles that actually unmoor her as like a very strong person is actually even more like heartbreaking and also scary in a way because like there's this person that you that pre- presents themselves as being able to handle anything and just sort of like the very like chipping away at that, like both economically, but then also emotionally, because obviously, you know, like w- Lucy is sort of like the thing that's keeping her emotionally together um, throughout the thing. And then like the ending of this movie is just like the saddest Holy fucking shit. crap!
0: I mean, it this- is, it's the worst
1: it's bad. It's
0: the worst. And it's it's sad because she de- you know she did the right thing.
1: Yeah, no, it's a self-sacrifice thing, but it and totally just so gets horrible. you right there. It's
0: so horrible. You're just like, no.
1: Yeah, but like, then... It's,
0: it's almost worse than Old Yeller.
1: Yeah, but it does hit at that very, very specific hurt that I think is tied to sort of a a childhood or an adolescent where there's so much, like adolescent literature and movies about like a boy and his dog or a girl and his dog or or her dog or whatever and there's something about seeing that in sort of a more adult setting and a more contemporary setting which is like more realistic the sort of just like twists the knife in further somehow Uh it's just it's just so um yeah I don't know I mean it's like a brilliant movie but I think the first time you see this movie like you should definitely just go in like ready to be emotionally devastated, because it's going to happen.
0: Well, it's like, when I went back to grad school, I had to leave my cats with my parents for two years, Mm -hmm. and that was devastating, because I I didn't know if I was going to be able to find a place where I could have them back, and Mm -hmm. in the end, I ended up only being able to take one back, and two of my cats are still in the middle of nowhere in Northern California. Now, they're happy, they're outdoor cats, and they like to roll in dirt, so... I left them there. Actually, it's basically the same thing. I left them there instead of trying to bring them with me anywhere because they love the outdoors, and I know that I live in the city, and I can't give them that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and every time yeah, i go I mean, home, just, they, they, they they miss me. And it,
1: yeah, it's just it a totally relatable, heart. relatable thing for anybody. It's just I think the the way that Reichart navigates the the sort of very very steady but very gradual compounding of all of these rather small amounts and she she tells you this like um with Wendy keeping track of her finances but also keeping track of the time and the fact that like as her transportation gets limited she has to go back and repeat things and I think that anyone who not only people who are poor or have been poor but even in a situation where like Let's say your car breaks down in the middle of the day. Okay, you're. it's like, what do you do? You take a bus, you take the train, everything takes longer, you have to go back. What if you don't have a, what if you don't have your cell phone? What if you lose your cell phone and your car breaks down at the same day? It's like, just imagine that and then imagine also that you don't have enough money to pay for a cell phone or a car. It's, I yeah. think, and it also just like really gets to the heart of the fact that s- so many people, even through circumstances that are, out of their control let's just say acts of god are so close to like annihilation like oblivion in terms of well now you have nothing like what do you do if that ever gets to that point and i and it, it's never in the movie it's never explained why she's on the road trip like why she's going to alaska in the short story that this is based on which is another um john raymond's short story uh actually both that one and old joy are in Um, this short story collection called Livability. It's really good, so if people are interested, they should check it out, but um, there is sort of a a reason why she's on the road trip, and a reason why she has traveled from whatever state to go all the way up to Alaska. There's actually more, um, a lot more um, exposition and a lot more dialogue in the short story, and I think it was really smart in the film to pare that down to the very bare minimum and have a very uh, limited amount of characters and character interaction. Cause I think it gives the impression that um, not only is Wendy in a tight economic situation, but the, the city that, or the, the town that she's ended up in, like doesn't have a lot of people with a lot of options themselves. So like everyone's yeah. margins are really, really close. And I think you get a really, really strong sense of that in the film.
0: So in a uh, slight transition in, Uh, Wendy and Lucy you have Michelle Williams and you have Will Patton and this is the first time you have sort of uh well more well-known stars I'm not gonna say Will Patton is the most well-known star but I love him so I'm just gonna pretend he's everyone knows who Will Patton is um I mean Dawson's Creek
1: Dawson's Creek man well everyone knows Michelle Williams
0: yeah yeah I think Michelle Williams is definitely someone people know and after and this was post um post uh Brokeback Mountain so she was on people's radar yeah
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. so
0: you have these two, two I'm going to call them both stars. The next film, which we, we already really talked about, but I just want to talk about the cast real quick, was the first time yeah, she started sorry. working with sort of a um, a higher grade cast. You have Michelle Williams coming back. You have Bruce Greenwood in a, a performance. I think both of their performances should have been Oscar nominated. I think Bruce Green was friggin amazing in this film. He's playing Meek. Yeah, um, absolutely. Shirley Henderson, Paul Dano, and Zoe Kazan, which I am not sure if they knew each other before this or if that's how they met, but they were the cutest couple. Um, yeah, I think
1: this is one they met, actually. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, then we everyone has Kelly Reichardt to thank for their cute coupleness. Um, <laughs> and then you have Will Patton. So, so you have this elevated cast, and since we mostly already talked about Meeks Cutoff, I'm going to move to Night Moves, which then has an even bigger cast, like yeah. in terms of people that people know. So, yeah. Night Moves and a, and a much higher budget.
1: Yes, um, visibly, visibly, yeah, and so a longer like, and a longer runtime. Both Meeks Cut Off. Huh. And yeah. Night Moves are longer movies.
0: So in Night Moves, you have Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, uh, Peter Sarsgaard. I always say her name wrong. Alia Shawkat? Yeah. Is that how you say it?
1: Okay. Yeah. Shawkat, um, I think, yeah.
0: All right. And Katherine Waterston. It was before she was sort of, if everyone knew her from, uh, what's it? Or is it the same year?
1: From which? In her Inheritized?
0: Yeah, I guess Inherent Vice was the next year.
1: No, yeah, it's before Inherent Vice. I didn't know who she um, was when I saw this film.
0: Yeah, yeah, she hadn't really broken out yet. And then James LeGroix, who's in, like, everything, and he's one of those that guys that I really love.
1: I, he's um, fantastic, and Kelly Reinhart so uses him everything. really well. Yeah, yeah.
0: She really does. He's great. Um, I'm, I just want them to keep working together. I, like, I want but, both, of, like, her and Michelle Williams to keep working together, and her and James LeGroix to keep working together. So mm-hmm. Night Moves... It also has much more of a plot, I think, a traditional plot than a lot of yeah. other films. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a thriller. It's a very different feel. It's still in Oregon, um, but it's a very different feel. And it's almost a neo noir in parts of it. Like that second yeah. half it definitely has that sort of neo noir feel to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It becomes like there's a pretty clean break between the first half and the second half. And the second half com- becomes all about uh, paranoia. So I'd say it's like a paranoia thriller, like almost like yeah. a political thriller in a way. Um, but yeah, that, that break is really, I mean, it, in a way, I don't know if this comparison is weird or totally off base, but the structure of it reminds me of Psycho in a way, where the film yeah. is really s- split into between the buildup to the crime And then the crime, and then the aftermath of the crime, and how the characters deal with it. And I think it's also, like, to me, um, even though Michelle Williams gives incredible kind of star performances, like in a movie where Wendy and Lucy, where it's based almost entirely around her, to me, Night Moves works or doesn't work for you, almost entirely based on Jesse Eisenberg's performance. Because I think it's so much about his headspace and so, so much of the the way that she shoots it is on his face literally and so it reminds me in a way sort of of uh of anthony perkins norman bates performance where a lot of it especially the second half is so much on his face and on his reactions and on his psychology and so it sort of reminds me of that in a way um not to say that like night moves is a similar kind of film, or to the level of Psycho, but to me that comparison is always just sort of. Whenever I watch this movie, I always just like, oh yeah, that's like a Psycho move right there. That's like a, a Hitchcockian um, thing to like the way that she reveals information, and the way that a lot of the um, the action that happens is reaction um, for for Eisenberg's character.
0: I definitely think. Eisenberg only works in roles where you don't like him.
1: Mhm. If he has if he has a darkness to him, it's it's he's better. That's that's what yeah. I would say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, cuz it, it he just he he gets into that that space really well, and when he's mm-hmm. trying to be likable, I never really buy it.
1: No, he has of cuz I think he has a he has a certain um uh what's the word? Um uh, neurotic Quality, and I think when he channels that into a sort of criminal or an untrustworthy or a darkness, it works better than sh- trying to channel it into like a kind of a charming, more comedic energy. I think honestly that night moves is probably his best performance. um I really, really love him in the movie, and I think he that like his performance is the reason that the movie works because I think a lot of people, even like Kellyrickhart fans sort of maybe this might be like their least favorite because at both at at once it's both more traditional like you have like movie stars in it it has a lot more of a plot it has it's dealing kind of with bigger themes and yet it's still very very understated so it's kind of hard to balance something that is so plot driven with so much space and so much air so I think like you kind of get trapped in between like a mainstream audience that might be interested in this plot if it was handled with a little more um, sensationalism or was quicker paced and then you have people that maybe like love old joy or they love wendy and lucy and they're used to being it to something being very stark and this doesn't quite satisfy that either so it's kind of in a middle ground between those two realms i think
0: the theme um, of people unprepared with their own to deal with with their own actions which is sort of Shows up in River of Grass and keeps going. Really shows up in this one where they think they've got it all planned out. But they didn't plan the human factor. Yeah. Um, And that human factor comes in and their inability to really deal with their own feelings. uh, Well, Dakota Fanning's character's inability to deal with her own feelings about things. And then the two men uh, having not factored in that, now having to find a way to deal with the way she's dealing with it and then it's just sort of like why you shouldn't do group projects basically
1: (laughs) yeah no and I think um one of the really interesting ways to think about this movie in terms of Reichardt's filmography is I I, I always link this one with Meek's cut off because both of those films are about group dynamics in a way and about how communities or kind of like micro communities function Whereas I think of I think of Wendy and Lucy as sort of an individual trying to navigate society, and in, in, a, in a strange way, I think of Old Joy similarly. So I, I kind of like always link because Meeks Cut Off. You have like a rather a larger ensemble, and then in the Night Moves. You have these like three main people, and then you have kind of like their subgroups where they have to navigate like the, those subgroups while appearing normal. And it's also, like, like it's, like, communal farming, it's, like, environmentalism, and so you have those sort of, like, microcosm um, political groups, which are actually just, like, kind of formed, formed social groups. So I think that, like, in terms of um, trying to... And then you have, like, that one scene where at the communal farm where they're talking about the, the dam explosion... And then like the various people give their opinion on whether or not they think it's like an effective strategy. And it kind of comes as maybe a surprise to Eisenberg's character or he wasn't prepared for like the variations of shades of opinions. Because I think his character maybe thinks that he's in a community where um, people would, might be more supportive of his decisions and then it comes maybe as an unwelcome surprise where like there are variations in what people think or like what people should do about a larger social issue um so that's kind of interesting to think about in terms of like individual versus society or like if an individual sort of like even an individual in like a radical quote-unquote societal context if their radicalism sort of Is digressive even further to like even their subgroup, like what happens to that person, you know? It's I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of uh, academic and weird, but I I think that movie does a good job of sort of laying out those um, different uh, those differing opinions of like how these political opinions are expressed. I think
0: that's a good uh, good summation of what themes she's trying to explore in this film. Um, and in mm-hmm. several of her films, like you said, uh, which then brings us to Certain Women, mm-hmm. which is a film that's both about individuals and community.
1: Yeah. It's and kind it of like the, you... yeah. It's like, to me, this is like the ap- apiothis. I can never say that word. How do you say that word? Apio? Apothesis? Ap- Apoth, some, however you say that word.
0: Apothesis? Pot- okay. Right?
1: Okay. It's the. Know, um.
0: Let's Google it. <laughs>
1: right,
0: right. See I'll I see what it's says it says Apotheosis
1: apotheosis. Apothe there you go. I always miss a syllable. There's okay, an E so, in there. How is yeah. it Apo- apotheosis?
0: Apotheosis.
1: Apotheosis?
0: Apotheosis.
1: Okay. Jesus. Okay. So to me like um certain women is like the uh <laughs> I can't even do it. I can't get my tongue to do it. Anyway it's the um it's the the culmination of like this idea of the tension between individuals and societies or how they work and i think structurally like certain women because it's a it's a triptych right so you have three stories that are unique and and discrete units but the characters from all three stories sort of um, appear in the other people's stories. And then at the end, all three are kind of wrapped up and you come to realize that they all exist in the same universe. And yet the the structure of the film separating them sort of em- emphasizes the fact that even though these women are relatively in the same geographic location and they might know each other or pass by each other, they're all very, very... Um, uh, u- uniquely and sort of inarguably alone and so it's yeah. it's very it's very sad in a way on um, the, st- really, the structure of the film
0: what i really liked about this film so we've moved from from the pacific northwest to montana mm-hmm. and montana is more similar to northern california southern oregon than it is to the rest of the pacific northwest in that it's very insular and very disconnected so for example, the, um, skipping to the third part of the story, the, the uh, Kristen Stewart character has to drive three hours to get to her job, this, oh. this job that she accidentally got into.
1: Oh, it's more than that. Right? I think it's like Four nine hours? hours. Nine hours. Oh, in no, the movie. no, round
0: trip. Round trip. Round oh, okay. trip, it's nine hours. It's, okay. It's like three and a half hours there, three and a half hours back. Okay. That, where I grew up, which is Northern California, that's the distance I would have to drive. Like if I flew home at Christmas, I flew to Reno, my parents drove three and a half hours to pick me up, and then we drove home. Mm -hmm. So that is insularity, I don't know what the word is, that when people say middle of nowhere, they often think that those towns are near bigger towns,
1: Mm.
0: or like if you say you're from a small town, they're like, they picture like a suburb or something. And what I really appreciate about this film is it really, really showed what it means to be insular and what it means to be isolated in terms of a community that's isolated from other communities.
1: And I Mm -hmm. don't think
0: that shows up in films a lot. Um, So I'm really, I'm grateful that like, this is a film a lot of people are watching because maybe they'll understand a little bit more about what, what it really means to grow up in and live in literally the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah. So like the,
0: the girl who, the girl who, um, what is her name? The actress? Uh, No, Lily Gladstone's character. Yeah. She, like, that is the the pinnacle of growing up in a ranch town, in a ranch community, Mm -hmm. where not only are you in this insular community, you're isolated from even the main town. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When she says that she, she, we're skipping all over the place, I'm sorry, but this is the part I love the most. When she says she went, she showed up to the night class because, quote unquote, people were going there yeah I was like oh my god I know those feels
1: it's so devastating I mean we we really uh, are skipping to like the emotional core of the film which I feel like is the third segment but yeah. to, to, to backtrack a little bit um the thing I like about certain women uh well spoiler alert it's everything I love this but um yeah, but like one of the things I like is that this is also an adaptation of short stories, but it's not, not they're not John Raymond short, short, short stories because it's not taking place in the Pacific Northwest. Um it was adapted um from short stories by this um a uh, a female author author called uh, Molly Malloy, who um grew up in Montana. I think, but is now based in Portland. And actually her brother yeah, is
0: Yes, he's Colin, Colin Malloy.
1: Yeah, from the Decemberists. So yeah. um, there's a this strong um, Pacific Northwest um, connection, nice. but um, yeah, the the so um, let's see, uh, so all three of the the storylines are adapted from individual uh, short stories. They're all uh, that she wrote. They all take place in Montana. Um, the first segment with uh, Laura Dern. Um, Laura Dern plays uh, a lawyer and it's about her relationship to her client um uh played by uh jared harris fantastic and it's about their relationship and jared harris has a like a a claim against like he was working on a construction project and then he got injured and he's trying to get um uh, restitution for that but legally he can't get anything more so he kind of goes a little haywire and she's trying to deal with it and then the Second segment is the one with Michelle Williams and it's about her and her husband played by James LeGrow again who are trying to uh they're going to build a house and they're looking for building materials um so they're looking for this um sandstone that is just natural in the area and so they have to go to this older guy's um property to sort of ask him for the sandstone so they can get it and it's that that one's really interesting because it also deals with like a, it deals with class and age and gender in all in really interesting ways. Um, and then the third segment is the one that everybody, that uh, devastates everyone, um, and rightly so, with, the, with Lily Gladstone as the ranch hand and uh, Kristen Stewart as the substitute teacher. Um, but yeah, and I, the thing I like about the third segment is that's the one that is the most different from the short story, because the short story um, is called Travis B. Because in the story, the ranch hand who's played by Lily Gladstone is actually a man, um, and he's a. Uh, it's like a he's like a early twenties uh, ranch hand. He has a, a limp, and it's about. I mean, the, the the thing's basically the same where he kind of um, gets infatuated with the uh, substitute teacher, but I think in terms of adaptation, that's really interesting to think about. Um, the fact that it is now, that it's a love story between two women now.
0: Uh, When this movie ended, I was talking to these old ladies who loved it, but were a little, like, trying to figure out what the themes were and about isolation and stuff, and I was was Mm -hmm. having a good conversation. And then they, these were, they were both, uh, I think they were Russian, and they both basically said... They didn't think that the Lily Gladstone character was necessarily a lesbian, but that she was just lonely and wanted a friend. And I was like, "Okay, let me tell you about how she was a lesbian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about how much she brought a horse, and also touched Kristen Stewart's scarf." Yeah,
1: that okay. would make that would make anyone a lesbian.
0: Like those are not friend <laughs> vibes, right? They're really yeah. subtle. The thing is, what I loved about this section was these are things that maybe you could sort of put as um subtext in a in a very straight point of view and Mm -hmm. you you know for example uh star wars with the jacket and and you're like no bros share jackets but all of us are like nah they're totally gay for each other and it's like it can be either but because this is most definitely not in a straight uh point of view like this is definitely it's definitely gay that that scarf is not that scarf touch is not debatable yeah what nice. I love
1: the most is that that uh. horse move, that horse move is straight mm. out of the straight out of the short story. Like literally nothing changed in terms of the dynamic except for the gender of the ranch hand, which I think is fucking amazing because it's love so that. it just it's such a small change in a way, but it absolutely gives everything a totally different charge. First of all, you're casting Kristen Stewart in the movie. That automatically makes your movie like at least at least sixty percent gayer. Yeah, Uh, if not more. Um, And then, uh, yeah, and it's just it's I don't know, it's wonderful. And I think also it adds a layer of you want to talk about movies that are about loneliness and isolation. And it's like you're bringing not only geographic isolation and even linguistic isolation because Lily Gladstone's character doesn't have anyone to talk to. Except for yeah. the horse, the horses, and her adorable corgi dog. Another the cutest really,
0: corgi ever. Yeah. Another
1: really, really good dog in this movie. See, this is why I like Kelly Reichert because she loves dogs, and I'm just like mm-hmm. right on Kelly Reichert. Like I feel that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of isolation, and then you actually have just like, like sexual isolation as well. Like just the fact that, like, this this rancher or whatever is. Queer to some extent, and like there's no. Not only is there nobody around, but forget any queer person that she could talk about. Like that's just not an option, and so that just it just adds like a a totally not a unique perspective, but I think it like just doubles down on the sort of uh, heartbreak and the desperation in a way because you're just like trying so hard to like connect to somebody and to be understood and that there's a lot of tension here with regards to what Kristen Stewart Stewart's character understands and to what extent Lily Gladstone's character understands that Kristen Stewart is understanding. Like that that back and forth between like what is actually going on here is like pretty pretty incredible.
0: Ugh, I loved this movie so much.
1: Do you want to talk about the other two segments at all? Because so I, like yeah, I feel like we're, I feel like we're glossing over a little bit.
0: We are. So the thing, let's go back to the the Laura Dern one. You have a couple of things mm-hmm. going on there. You have the fact that she is clearly having an affair, um, which with James Earl, uh, yeah, which you don't. You you notice him at the beginning, and you don't realize you don't know who she's having an affair with, but you can tell it's it's definitely an affair because they're yeah. having afternoon sex. You know. Um, and another another
1: psycho this, reference she, if you're yeah. if you're looking for them she, yeah
0: he has this um client and th- there's this, like a couple of interesting things I think about the client one that he uh probably was either non-union or the, I think he's probably non-union and was chilled basically um, yeah
1: he and, took and he, he took the the, the the closest or the the most immediate deal, without buyout, re- yeah, yeah, without realizing that he could get more if he had waited for another.
0: And they offer. clearly didn't. They didn't explain it to him. And they do this all the time. And by they, I mean like the ominous, evil they. This happens mm-hmm. all the time to, to to honest working folk who yeah. just don't know any better. They they just mm-hmm. don't know any better. And I I knew someone that worked at uh, the newspaper with me that had something similar happen um, an accident, they took the buyout and then it ended up like basically not working so well for them because then they used the money, but then they still needed money because disability is not that great. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's just, it happens a lot. And, but on top of that, you then have the fact that he has this lawyer who's a woman and it pretty much looks like He's stubborn for many reasons, but one layer of that stubbornness is the fact that he won't listen to a woman. Yes. It's not the main reason. It's not the main reason. He's, he's not going to listen to anybody, but he'll listen just slightly more to the man. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's kind and of I, an... I, like, this guy's really stubborn, and he is re- very frustrated, but all of these frustrations are compounded by these these are all the identity politics that are not front and center, but they're also not ignored. So you have, you know, issues of gender and sexuality and class that are running through all three of these stories. And I would never say that they're the main driver of any of the stories, but they're so like, those elements are so smartly handled. Like it's in the performance, the performances, and it's in the subtext of everything that's going on. Like these, like class is not ignored Because it's a fact of life. And it informs how the characters behave.
0: So then when you get to the Michelle Williams, James LeGrowe storyline, you have sort of the idea of um, a couple who's grown apart. And maybe only part of the time. But obviously you know that the man's having an affair. Mm -hmm. But you can tell that her character is unhappy and lying to them. She's hiding about smoking. She's... Mm -hmm. um, She's clearly like trying really hard to keep order in her life, but that's causing strife because people don't like to be ordered around. But it's like if she yeah, doesn't- and she's
1: oh, like they're in their relationship is a marriage, but they're also in a like they're in business together, and she's yeah, she, she's, she's the, the boss. boss. Yeah. So you have that tension. It's almost like it's like a partnership. It's like more of a business partnership than a marriage at this point, and that causes all kinds of tension.
0: Then you have, you know, grumpy teenagers, which never makes anybody's life easy. And that's just a fact of life because I don't know anybody who was a teenager who wasn't somewhat grumpy and contentious. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not explored too much, but part of that is probably because teenagers notice a lot more than their parents think they do. So she probably knows her dad's messing around.
1: Yeah, Um, and it's a good perspective uh, to bring into that dynamic.
0: Or at least, at the very least, she knows her parents are not doing well as a partnership. Mm-hmm. And that that's probably adding to her um you know discontent. And so then you have this old man whose brother has already died, right? Is that remember yeah. that correctly? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and he but he remembers lots of things and he has lots to say that they don't all come out sort of coherently. And you get that he's probably neglected, but there's at least some people that are kind of checking in on him. Mhm. But you don't know how often
1: Right. And it seems it's probably- like a kind of guy who's just has always been really independent. It's just there are fewer people in his lives now, in his life now. So it's that kind of middle ground between how much longer can you be as independent as you are accustomed to. So he's kind of like in that danger zone of like, is he okay? Will he be okay by himself? It's a very tricky performance i would say
0: well and it's great that that all the information you get about him comes from his point of view of how it happened
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: he'll say things very nonchalantly but you but the reactions of the two of them are like oh my god what what is yeah. happening yeah. and and he and he doesn't see it as grave as it really is so his own right cuz and then
1: cuz and all of the information that they're getting that the couple's getting is informing how they make this business deal so it's like they're trying to react like humanely as normal people but it's like all the information is like will i get the sandstone so they're they're trying to navigate like oh geez like because they're there for a purpose but it's also they need to make the visit social in order to get the sandstone so it's this really like tricky uh back and forth between like how much are we possibly taking advantage of this guy like they don't want to but they also want what they want like how yeah. do you how are they negotiating this it's really like and the and the that scene where they're like talking to each other it's so i wouldn't say it's like tense but it's very um fraught with a lot of different um emotions
0: yeah and that last the last bit with him where she's loading up the sandstone and she goes to wave at him and he just like doesn't react. Mm-hmm. That's that's a heartbreaking scene because you you really don't know how. Like, is he there all there enough to realize that the sandstone is leaving that he's done this, or does he mm-hmm. have sadness over it, or is he okay, yeah. or you can't really tell. Could be any of those no. things.
1: Yeah, and all this stuff is left left open, like in that same yeah. fashion for all of these Reichardt films, where there's a lot of open questions about. Like, no, because nothing ever is, like, really resolved. And also the question of, like, will this couple building this house, which I think it's implied that it's their second house. So they're obviously well-to-do because they're from a more populated part of Montana, I think, or somewhere else west. So they're building this basically as a, you know, as a second home. So, like, is this going to make them happy? Is it worth it? Like, what is their labor actually accomplishing? So, like, all of these things are just sort of like, well, we'll never know. Like... These people are just doing what they're doing and they're going to do it. But what the end result of it is is uh, left up to the viewer.
0: Yeah. So um, now that we've sort of talked about all her films, which, if you were going to recommend some a film to uh, someone who's never seen a Kelly Reichardt film, what film would you say they should start with?
1: Well, let's just go the easy pick and go with the one that's in theaters right now. I mean, um, I think Certain Women is a good primer not only because there are three separate stories so it gives you a lot of different perspectives to work with but you got some real deal movie stars in there and it's quiet and understated in a way that I think is um, emblematic of Kelly Reichardt but there is also some more um, sort of mainstream stuff in there and I think the structure of it is very um, viewer friendly because there's not a lot of super super sustained you know long takes or anything it's a it's a slow moving movie but i think to a degree that most people would be able to handle and it's got kristen stewart in it so you should just go see yeah, it
0: that's kind of what i was gonna say like yeah go go, go for case do you know,
1: yeah, go I know for there's, like,
0: there's like a lot of people who like to hate on case do and they think that the like cinephile love of case do is ironic and i'm just like nah if you've seen nah, her dude. films, you, you you if you've seen her non-Twilight films, you know it's not ironic. Yeah. And even if you've seen her Twilight films, she does the best she can with that bullshit. And I, this is coming from a really big Twilight fan, like that shit was terrible yeah, and to actually, begin with. And she does a great job.
1: The funny thing about Kristen Stewart for me is I have never seen the Twilight movies, so I've only seen the movies that she's that are good and that she's good in. You know what I mean? So like yeah. I've never had I've never had the opinion that she was bad, but only because I've I haven't seen the the Twilight movies. And I'm fine with that. I honestly think that the, the run of movies that she's on like in the past couple of years is like fucking fantastic. And she just gets better and better. So I don't know, haters well, gonna hate. I mean, so
0: the thing with the Twilight films is it's not that she's bad. It's that the characters just Yeah,
1: it's the material. Yeah.
0: It's the, the material and But her picking the material
1: can. now the the thing I love about Kristen Stewart is she's making awesome, awesome, awesome choices in terms oh, of the the people that she wants to work with.
0: It's great yeah. because she can afford to do that. Both her and Pattinson have basically they made a ton of money, and yeah. now they can do whatever they want.
1: And they're and much, they're doing so they're doing great like, stuff.
0: Yeah, um, I
1: love our Pat's.
0: I'm not gonna lie, um, I love them both. So, <laughs> all
1: right, we're getting off topic. See,
0: Team K's do, yeah. Okay, um, so if you had to pick one favorite uh, record film, what would your favorite one be?
1: Uh, I think I gotta go Meek's Cutoff. Um, okay. It's the one that I first um, fell in love with. I still think it's, like, a masterpiece, like, one of the best films uh, of the decade, and it just hits, like, all the right spots for me, you know? Like, of the, the kind of things that I love in movies. Um, so to me, that's kind of my top of the heap, I think.
0: So I think my favorite might actually be, uh, certain women. And I know it's the most recent that I've seen, but I just loved it so much. I loved, you know, like, I, I think it, part of it has to do with the way it tapped into this insular like I mentioned this insular nature of growing up in literally the middle of nowhere. And Mm -hmm. I always love films that show that because I think there's a big disconnect and this getting political here, there's a big disconnect between city life and urban life and urban life the same thing, city life and rural life. And it's not just, it doesn't just have to do with economics. It also has to do with isolation yeah, And, and both, both factors. And isolation of being in the middle of nowhere and isolation of living in a city and not being connected to uh, what it's like to be in the middle of nowhere.
1: Well, I mean, what you're talking about with certain women, I think there are elements of that in really all of her films. Like the, the, these these running themes of isolation or loneliness and the tension between the city and rural areas or the city and nature is like, that's something that shows up in old joy as well. Like I, it's this sort of like these duality concepts of like, who are you when you're here versus who are you when you're there? How do you negotiate between the two? Like, I always think that like whatever natural surroundings you're in, whether it be like downtown Portland or the middle of nowhere on Montana, like how is that acting upon you as an individual and how is that, like, mediating your behavior. Uh, To me, that's, like, that's something that comes across in all of her work.
0: I think that's why she's such a a distinctive and unique American voice, is that she understands that your surrounding affects who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that's
1: just just
0: great about her.
1: I want to say one more thing about why I like Kelly Reichardt. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. So we're talking about how Kelly Reichardt understands how people are uh, informed by their place, right? So the thing I like about her in the context of being a a female filmmaker is that she is less interested, I think, in identity politics and about um, individual signifiers and more interested in... Uh, people's relationship to their communities and people's relationship to their environments, which I think is, it's not rare or unique, but I think a lot of times um, there's maybe an expectation on female filmmakers to draw from their personal experience and make films that are semi-autobiographical or films that are about their womanhood in a certain regard. And we didn't talk about this, but Kelly Reichardt is gay. And I think a lot of times... There's especially for queer women filmmakers, there's an expectation that their work needs to reflect their their gender and their sexual orientation um, to a degree. And what I really like about Kelly Reichardt is that it's not that she's not interested in those things or her identity does not inform her work because it does, but it doesn't form the basis of the kinds of things that she wants to talk about. And I think that that's rare because there's a lot of pressure. I think on women and on queer mo- women filmmakers to make movies about that experience and about how people interpret that experience. And I like Reidhart because she makes the kinds of movies that she wants to, um, not the kind of movies that people might expect her to make. So that's all I yeah. wanted to say. I like her. That's good. She's great. I, like
0: that. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone like look for that picture of her and Todd Haynes as babies because it's it's great.
1: Full oh baby. yeah, we didn't talk about um, Todd Haynes at all. We didn't. They're like they're which, like they're like old BFFs. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a lot. And Todd BFFs.
1: Haynes, yeah, Tom he's Haynes, like the exactly executive producer.
0: All of her films, yeah, or most of her films. Yeah. Um, she gets a I shout know.
1: out. She gets a shout out in at the Carol special thanks. They're like oh, they're yeah. like bros. It's great. It's are. fantastic. Yeah.
0: So can, uh can you remind everyone uh, once again where they can find you on the internet?
1: Sure, yeah, it's at Sales On Film, S A L E S on Film, on Twitter and also salesonfilm.tumblr.com. sales
0: Ah uh, yeah. So I wanna thank you again for hopping on talking to Kelly Reichart. Um, and because Dude, you thank wanted you so to much. do this because you wanted to do this show, I finally finished her filmography. So I'm very grateful for that because I had been putzing around not watching these films and I'm glad that I finally did.
1: Honestly, like, um, even just, like, talking about it makes me, like, love her movies even more. So I'm just, like, grateful for an outlet to talk about, like, literally just, like, my, my favorite filmmaker. So it's awesome. awesome. I hope that people haven't seen her movies. Like, she has a very consistent filmography. It's, like, six movies. You could do it in a weekend. Like,
0: yeah. just, just and do it, people. All, they're almost all available to rent online if you don't have a video rental store near you. Um, yeah, actually, you I it, think all of them... Rental- Yeah, if you do have a video rental store near you, they're all on DVD now. I think even River of Grass is on DVD.
1: Yeah, uh, it was. uh, I think it's uh, what was it Oscilloscope? I think put that out. Yeah, Yeah, but but for for for, for streaming, actually, all of them are available on streaming. If it's, I think the various platforms are uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix, and Fandor. Fandor has the most, so it might be a good opportunity to get Fandor if you haven't already.
0: There you go. Uh yep. so thank you again. And yep. uh, for you who will keep listening for other shows, hopefully the next uh, two shows are actually gonna be both with Miriam Bale. Uh, we haven't oh. no recorded yet, but we are going we're doing an epic two episode record a thon where one episode will be about Sophia Coppola and the other episode will be about Nancy Myers. So we're going oh, to two very, very distinct places.
1: That's gonna be um, okay. so awesome.
0: It's it's gonna be two different shows, so it'll be all December, but we're recording it all in one session. So who knows how loopy we'll get by the time we get to Nancy Myers.
1: Holy um, I'm moly! Really,
0: I'm really excited for this show. It's gonna be good. Um, so that'll be in December. Uh, I'll Look forward to that. And coming in January, I have several several people who I need to watch the films for the of the women that they want to talk about. So <laughs> it depends really on which movies I get to first. Um, but I have a yeah. lot of people uh, coming on the show in the next few weeks uh, up through almost February. I think I have booked right now. So this is really exciting. And um, thank you all for listening. And if you have ever have any questions about where to start with pretty much anything, just send me a tweet and I'll give you probably 20 films to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and you think I'm joking, but people have asked for like a five film starter pack and I'm like, here's 20. I couldn't choose.
1: No, don't do that. Just give them 5. Don't overwhelm uh, the people.
0: I overwhelm. I'm a bit much.
1: Yeah, it's it's what you do. It's what you do.
0: It's what it's you ask Mariah for a film recommendation, she gives you 20. That's what she does. Um That's right. <laughs> Anyways, thank you again and um have a good end of November, everybody, and into holiday season. Yay. Yeah,
1: to you as well.